Welcome to the 84th episode of the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Gadiel Cartagena, speaking with co-host Tyler Yarnell. Today we recap the AFC and NFC Championship games and give you our thoughts on the seven new head coach hires in the NFL. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. This past weekend, we just had the AFC and NFC Championship games. We want to talk about that a little bit today, as well as the seven hires for the NFL coaching vacancies. We got the last official hire last night, David Coley signing with the Houston Texans, but we'll get into that a little bit later. We'll start with the early game, the NFC Championship. This was honestly a very iconic game it was just one of those games that I feel like we're all going to be talking about for years to come uh, whether it was defining for Brady or really I think it was defining for the Tampa Bay defense really holding strong or whether it was Aaron Rodgers not being able to capitalize on three Brady turnovers um, in the fourth quarter I think they were in the fourth quarter they might have been one in the third but uh, a rough 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 stretch for Brady and the Packers could not capitalize 31 to 26. Tyler, what's uh, what's one big takeaway you have from this game? And then we'll kind of get into the fantasy side of things. So for me, the, my biggest takeaway is just like, I don't know, uh, Matt LaFleur just taking things way too analytically as far as like his, I think that the biggest question that we came out of that game with uh, as far as like fans is like, why did he go for a field goal when he had, I think like a little bit over two minutes left on the, on the clock and he's going they're down by eight. So I don't know, Matt LaFleur, I guess it's a, it's a sign of respect to his, his defense for giving like trusting them with that, um, with that assignment to stop Tom Brady in the, in the Bucks offense. But at the same time, you can still trust them if you go for it on fourth down and you're in the same situation, except they're, they're sitting at like the five yard line and you, you could possibly have another opportunity to go for that, that eight points if you just go for it. So um, that was definitely mysterious. Um, really don't know what he's thinking at that, in that point. Like, even if you think that, that you can, you trust your defense, like you're going up against Tom Brady, like, you know that if you give him the ball back, like you're, you're willingly giving him the ball back. And at that point, like you're, you're just punting the game. Like if you're giving Tom Brady the ball back, you're punting the game in, in that situation. So uh, very mind boggling in my opinion. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's really a takeaway or just, just like being pissed off at Matt LaFleur. I feel like all of, I feel like everybody that was watching that game, that was rooting for the Packers pretty pissed off at, at Matt LaFleur because he kind of just, he really, he really punted. He, he fumbled the bag there. Yeah. For he, the, he for really the Packers. Did. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he could have ran it in on what was it like second or third down. So that, that's one thing that also just that didn't make yeah. sense as to why he didn't go. Cause he really had a lane and we know Rodgers is like fast enough to get that. Um, but yeah, I think even I was rooting for the Bucks. I mean, you know how much I've been pushing that I think the Bucks have been going to the Super Bowl for a while. And obviously I wanted them to win the game. And I honestly felt like we were robbed of what could have been like a classic ending because I think Aaron Rodgers gets that touchdown. I think Aaron Rodgers gets that two point conversion somehow. And then you're 31 31, two minutes left, three timeouts. Uh, Brady had been struggling, but you give the GOAT a chance to do GOAT things. 
and we were robbed of that chance. So that kind of just pissed me off. Um, but yeah, it just didn't make sense from the floor. Just, it, I just really don't understand why you would actively take the game out of one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time's hands, but um, he's the one that makes the decisions and they'll, I don't know. I'm, I really don't know if green Bay's championship window will continue to be open because they are still going to have to pay some players and whatever. And it just, it's going to be a tough situation for green Bay. I think getting back to like Super Bowl contention, they're going to lose Aaron Jones. They're going to lose a few people. Um, I don't know. Green Bay is a little interesting right now. They have a lot of different, ways to go but as long as you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback you're always going to be a contender um on the other side of the ball the one thing that I want to take away from this game is one Tom Brady played fantastic to start but he did not win this game I'm really sick of people saying like oh Brady went out there he like he it's crazy how he can like keeps winning this was a team win because Brady and the offense just absolutely lit it up in the in the first half I believe they had, what, 21 points? Brady had that Hail Mary touchdown at the end. Like 28 two, points, I believe. Like I think it was 28 to 10. Really? Oh, no, never mind, never mind. They scored that second half touchdown. It was 21 to okay. 10. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just, like, in- incredible throws in the first half. And then he had some okay throws in the second half and then just kind of fell – like, he just fell off completely. It was just not pretty. Um, Bad play by Mike Evans. I think Mike Evans could have done a little bit of a better job to try to not – tip that ball directly into the air but you know things happen I just think it's interesting how the Bucks have been able to become so balanced on offense that it makes it very very hard for them to stop because obviously you have Brady uh Gronk Evans Godwin whatever but even Leonard Fournette I mean he showed you in the first quarter he still got some gas left in the tank like, he had that one really, really nice run where, like, he broke a tackle, stiff-armed somebody, hit a spin move, and then went to the end zone. That is, like, LSU Leonard Fournette. That was very, very surprising to me. Um, obviously, I've been someone that's kind of been trashing Fournette the entire year, and I've been praising Rojo. Rojo did not look very good this game, but as long as one of the running backs is playing well, this makes this team much, much harder to stop, and I think it's going to continue in the Super Bowl. We won't talk about the Super Bowl too much today, but that was just kind of one takeaway is just the Bucks' ability to be balanced. They were not – the one-dimensional team that the Packers were in this game. The Bucks were a balanced football team in this game, and that is kind of what, um, I'll say, allowed Brady to get going a little bit in the first half, the end of the first half. But they're also very, very predictable on offense. It's like run, play action, like drop back. Run, run, play action. Uh, they need to mix things up a little bit against the Chiefs because once the Chiefs know what you're doing, you're going to get shut down. But I think it's going to be a very interesting game. So that's kind of just what I took away from the Bucks side, at least. I just really appreciate the way that they're able to be balanced. And their defense is also just lights out, stopping the run. Uh, it's going to be on Patrick Mahomes to throw for 400 yards to win the Super Bowl, unless Brady chokes and throws three more interceptions. Yeah. But yeah. it's going to be an interesting game regardless. Talking about the Bills and the Chiefs on the other side, the score does not show how much of a blowout this was. Um, it looked really good for the bills early but it was really off one fluky play that fumbled punt where the bills scored a touchdown and then missed the extra point it was 9-0 and then from then on it was a 38 to 15 run with the bills really getting another uh, touchdown in garbage time so it was really just like what 38 38 
Yeah, 38 to 9 run from the Bills or from the Chiefs pretty much. It it got really ugly for the Bills. Um what did you take away from this game? What did uh what do we know moving forward about the Chiefs, about the Bills and whatnot? Um I don't think I learned anything from this game. I kind of just got assured by a lot of uh a couple of things, a couple of the flaws that we saw from the Bills this this past week. Um first thing is that Josh Allen is still a year away. Uh, I, obviously he showed so much promise this year. I'm, I'm one of the biggest uh, Josh Allen fans, but um, you know, his growth was definitely, definitely significant. Like we, we've, we've talked about it so much, the complete, the completion percentage that the lead that he made uh, this year compared to literally every year of his career. And I think that he's definitely going to build off that next year. I think that he, he can improve in some areas. And um, I think that he'll definitely be back in this situation in the AFC championship going up against Patrick Mahomes. Um, so, you know, I, I have, I have faith in that for Josh Allen. Um, another thing is that their run game was just, it, it wasn't effective enough. It couldn't, it couldn't hold the, the chiefs off the field for enough time. And that's kind of what you have to do to beat the chiefs is, like dominate the time of possession. And that's not exactly what they did. So um, they kind of just put in many times, they put the ball in Josh Allen's hands and kind of uh, told him to do go to work. And I don't think that's how you beat the Kansas city chiefs. Like you have to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field as much as you can, because like the, the chiefs doubled down on their offense last season by drafting Clyde Edwards Alaire because of this reason, like they know that if, they're on the field if they if they get the ball like even like half the time of possession like they don't have to win time of possession or even like like a little bit less than um, the majority like they'll probably win the game because their offense is so overwhelming so um, I think that the biggest issue that the that the Bills need to face this offseason besides um, dealing with a lot of the free agents that they have I think they have something around like 15 free agents maybe 20 um, one of the biggest holes that they had this year was the running back position and just having that, that grinded out running back that you, you can trust with 20 to 25 touches, uh, just handing the ball off to them. Um, Devin Singletary is a great player, but you want to give that kind of workload to kind of trust in those, those big situations where you need like the third and twos of the world, the, the fourth and ones, the second and ones, uh, short yardage situations. So um, I think that's that's definitely something Bills will look at in this offseason. And uh, I, I think that if they're if they're able to fill that hole, they can they can um, along with dealing with their free agents, I think that they can make some noise next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way Josh Allen progresses here is honestly unlike anything I've ever seen from a quarterback before. Um, this jump was unreal from Josh Allen. He legitimately turned into a complete MVP candidate. Obviously, they didn't have a run game. He was the run game. He was the pass game. He did everything for this team, and they put everything on his shoulders. And yes, in theory, that can be a really good formula if you have such a talented quarterback. But you're always going to have to go through a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who is the guy that can just be the entire offense for a team. He can throw the ball 50 times and it the the amount of volume won't affect him that much. He will just continue to produce because it's Pat Mahomes 
He's a freaking superstar. That's what he does. So Josh Allen, it, although he took that leap in the playoffs, he's not on Patrick Mahomes' level yet. I think that will come with experience. So maybe next year if they get back to the AFC Championship game, Josh Allen had a lot of bad plays in this game, whether it was bad throws early on or taking like – he took like three 20-yard sacks, which just cannot happen. You cannot take your team out of like first down territory because they got to like third and 23, third and – 26 or something and that just can't happen especially against the Kansas City Chiefs so that was obviously a problem for Josh Allen and like you said they really need a running game um what we what I talked about with the Bucks being able to make the Packers one-dimensional um the Chiefs were able to do that to the Bills and the Chiefs don't even have that strong of a run defense so not being able to do that not being able to move the ball on the ground obviously really affected Josh Allen he looked like a quarterback that had the entire the weight of the entire team on his shoulders for the first time in the playoffs. And when that happens, obviously, you're going to be in trouble. He also didn't play fantastic throughout the playoffs. You look at the Colts game, you look at the Ravens game, you look at the Chiefs game. Um, none of those games were overwhelmingly fantastic performances. Yes, he had some incredible throws here and there. He did not win that uh, Bills-Ravens game. The Bills defense did with that pick six. And in the Colts game, his he played well to start and then it was kind of just hanging on while Philip Rivers led a furious comeback. So Josh Allen, he has some work to do in the playoffs. I think that will getting that run game will definitely help him out. Um, I definitely want to see a guy like either Najee Harris get a guy. I think Najee Harris is a big possibility at the end of the first round for the Buffalo Bills. Not that drafting a running back in the first round is a good move, but when you look at holes that they need to fill, um, if there's not a really good offensive lineman, maybe an edge rusher there, then I think you start to consider a player like a Najee Harris or you trade back, maybe take him in the second round. Don't have to worry about that fifth year uh, contract, fifth year of the contract, whatever. And then you use that fifth year of the contract, maybe, I don't know, elsewhere. If you move back in the first round, maybe move up in the second round. So with all that being said, obviously we, we know we'll talk about the, the Super Bowl what's going on with that next Thursday. We'll do a Super Bowl preview, talk more about what we think will actually happen. But I do want to talk about the head coaching hires because we had a lot of hires that really were, there were some names that we expected to be hired, like Joe Brady, Eric Bieniemy, uh, not hired, Brian Dable even electing to stay in Buffalo. Uh, those are like three of the guys that I really believe were some of the best young offensive minds, some of the best candidates this year. But I'm not an NFL coach. I don't know why these guys get hired. Um, it's always it's always very confusing. But I do want to start with the hire from last night. Uh, David Culley signing with the Houston Texans. He's the fifth oldest head coach in the NFL. He's 65. He's never been head coach before. And he's been in the league for 27 years. So I think more so than anything, this is the Houston Texans realizing like, hey, we have an absolute dumpster fire on our hands. This guy is going to help calm things down and kind of establish a culture in which they can become a winning organization some point down the line. Now, this also could be a last-ditch effort to keep Deshaun Watson. There is a rumor that Deshaun Watson and David Coley have uh, had a good rapport as long as Deshaun's been in the NFL. I don't know how they know each other. This is a fraternity of people, so maybe they just met through a random person, but I think that's interesting that they hired this guy as opposed to an Eric Bieniemy, a Leslie Frazier. Uh, those are the other two candidates that were being considered. Um, Tyler, what's your like first reaction? Because I don't think we can take anything away from this fantasy-wise. What's your first reaction from this hire? 
Well, my first reaction, obviously, was uh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know who David Coley was before this hiring. So uh, um, when I when I saw that he was the the Baltimore Ravens wide receivers coach, I was kind of confused because I didn't really see like you, you didn't really see much um, much production from the the Baltimore receivers this past season. So it, it kind of confused me a little bit. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe he just – I thought that he, maybe he was just like a leader, but um, looking more into his his uh, his resume, sorry, um, he, he seems to have a long track record of, of being a wide receivers coach. Like you said, never been a, a, a head coach, really has been a wide receivers coach for most of his career. So it's pretty interesting that he finally gets his head, first head coaching job at age 65. Um, he's going to be 66 by the time the season. So, um, yeah, definitely pretty interesting. I could see this as a, as a tactic to kind of do whatever it ca- they can to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston. But um, at the same time, I, I, I wish that they had gone with Eric B. Enemy. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but the guy that Deshaun Watson was very interested in, like he, that's the person that he suggested for the team to, to hire as the head coach. And, you know, with David Coy, I, I guess he, if he has a, if he has a relationship with them, great. Um, if not, then I'm, I'm really confused with this hire. Because at this point, like the, the Texans don't really have much to latch on. I think that at this point, you, you, you have to really, they should have done everything they could have to get, to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston because like, like what, what else do you have to, to like root for this, this season? Like they, you really, Deshaun Watson's like one of the only good things that you have on this team right now. And to lose that would be devastating to to the whole organization. So I uh, would have just done whatever you could to get him or keep him on the roster and keep him from actually actually requesting a trade. So if David Coley does that, great. If not, then I'm I'm pretty confused by this hire. Yeah, they're just given some of the candidates that were out there, I'm just I'm also confused. We'll see what ends up happening. I just feel like this is the Houston Texans kind of getting their guy to start to slightly establish a bit of a culture in the organization because it doesn't seem like he's the most elite X's and O's guy. Maybe he could be. I honestly don't know. But having a big track record with Andy Reid being that he uh, – Andy Reid actually had him come with him from Philadelphia to Kansas City – it's obviously a good thing for David Coley. So, I mean, he seems respected around the league. Everybody seems to like him. So we'll see what ends up happening, but uh, hopefully they can try to keep Deshaun Watson. Speaking of keeping your quarterback, or at least improving your quarterback, the Philadelphia Eagles brought in Frank Reich's right-hand guy, right-hand man, to be kind of the young offensive mind that fixes Carson Wentz. So he, Frank Reich, if you guys didn't know, was the offensive coordinator when Carson Wentz was in Philadelphia. They got along very well. They ran that RPO a little bit. Uh, Fantastic offense. They did great. They won a Super Bowl, although Wentz wasn't the quarterback. He had an MVP caliber season under Frank Reich. And now you take Nick Sirianni away from Frank Reich. You bring him to Philadelphia. 
And Philadelphia, what they wanted to do with this hire, reportedly, obviously I wasn't there, but reportedly what they wanted to do was bring in somebody that could quote unquote fix Carson Wentz because he has a superstar talent. But this year it was absolutely atrocious what he was putting on the field, just playing terrible pretty much every game. Like there was flashes of decent play, but there was a consistent stream of just bad, bad football. So they're trying to fix Carson Wentz. I think obviously, um, first of all, I know Deep Dive Fantasy, Brandon, uh, who was on our podcast last week, he has been a big advocate for Carson Wentz being a buy in dynasty leagues really like a super flex league if you can try to get him cheap maybe send a guy like Jared Goff maybe Jared Goff in like a third round pick for him then go ahead and do so because Wentz is someone that if he improves he's probably going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback so as long as he's on the field he's probably gonna be top 10 and that's just ridiculous upside to be had in those leagues I mean he might be in one QB leagues he might be sitting on like the waiver wire right now just because he was so so horrible this year but we know he's a useful fantasy option. So outside of that, I think one of my biggest takeaways and what I'm worried about with the Philadelphia Eagles, and Tyler, you can comment on this too, is um, Deuce Staley left, the running backs coach, he left to go coach for the Detroit Lions. So with that being said, Deuce Staley was the biggest Miles Sanders advocate. He would promote Miles Sanders every single chance he got. He would say, this is our guy. This is our workhorse. We need to get him 20 plus touches a game. And he got a really good share of rushes. I believe the games that he played, um, he was getting probably 15 to 18 touches a game. And that's what you want from a guy like Miles Sanders. But the way that the Colts have kind of used a running back by committee under Nick Sirianni, I wonder if they bring in another guy, like maybe like a bigger body back, maybe a guy like a Ramon J. Stevenson, uh, maybe a Jermar Jefferson, someone to come in and not compete with Miles Sanders, but be the 1B to Sanders' 1A. And in turn, that'll hurt his fantasy value a little bit. I think we'll kind of, the days of Miles Sanders being a top five guy could be over. We'll have to see what happens. But I'm starting, like, uh, I'll put a little bit of caution towards Miles Sanders just because I'm not sure exactly what that usage will be under Nick Sirianni. Yeah, I think that's that's what where we're we, there's a lot of uh, indefinites with Nick Sirianni, a uh, new head coach. So uh, can't really jump to conclusions at, at this point, but there's definitely some caution at this point because Deuce Staley, like you said, was a big advocate for Miles Sanders and was just a good running backs coach. I think that he was considered for the head coaching job for the Eagles as well. I think he got, he got an interview for them. And um, he's, he's heading over to the Detroit Lions. I think that's a, that's a great boost for DeAndre Swift. Uh, if we're talking about uh, value increasing. So I think that definitely benefits uh, DeAndre Swift going into next year. Um, we're already feeling pretty good about him now that he has um, Deuce Staley as his running backs coach. I think that that'll work out very well for him. Um, if we're talking about Carson Wentz, you know, my my biggest takeaway is just like, the Eagles reluctancy to move on from Carson Wentz, you know, contractually, I think that it's very difficult for them to, to do it anyways. But like the fact that they're still kind of watching on to this MVP season that he had in 2017 is kind of crazy. And like, just kind of looking in the past in, in, in all reality, like they, they, they're just looking back at 2017 and, um, 
not really looking forward in the future and uh, what they've seen, the film that they've seen over the past three seasons. So maybe they're enamored by uh, Carson Wentz's film over the past three seasons. I personally am not. Um, maybe they still see a franchise quarterback. I am still a little bit iffy about that. I do know that Jalen Hurts is uh, oozing with potential. And I think that he, he, he can definitely be a franchise quarterback in my opinion, opinion. Um, as far as his skill and his leadership. And um, according to reports within the, within the Eagles organization, like there, there's some questions about Carson, Carson Wentz's uh, leadership skills and being able to uh, command like a, like a full team. So um, that's just where, where I'm at with, the, with the hiring. Uh, I think that this is kind of Carson Wentz's last straw with the team. If I'm not mistaken, he might, he still has guaranteed money going into ne like next season and then the year after. So they're kind of strapped on strapped into Carson Wentz this season or for the next couple of seasons, which um, is kind of a pain, but um, I guess that's just the, the, the mistakes that you make as a, as an organization and you kind of got to live with it. So uh, that's where I'm at with the Eagles right now. You're, you're muted. goodness so it is a big big contract with a lot of guaranteed money i'm trying to pull up carson wentz's contract here um i think i'm interested in both jalen hurts and carson wentz because i believe one of these guys will actually be very very productive fantasy wise so yeah after this year this year is a cap hit of 34.5 million dollars and then after this year there's a potential out where he has 24.5 million in dead cap then 15.2 and then in his last year of his deal, it would be $6 million in dead cap. So I just think it's tough. With Carson Wentz, you might have to try to see if you can fix him this year. And then if he plays well, then obviously you have your quarterback. But if not, you are going to probably have to bite the bullet, take $24 million in dead cap for a season and cut him. Because at the end of the day, having a contract that big on your books, $30-plus million a year for three more years is just very – it's – it's crippling to your team. Like you cannot have a quarterback that is underplaying their contract by that much. Like the discrepancy between like actual value and contractual value is just going to be unbelievable there. So yeah, I think it's interesting that they made a hire to try to fix Carson Wentz. Um, I guess management still loves him. They want us to look smart for their pick. Um, we'll see what ends up happening, but I do believe Nick Sirianni is a good offensive mind. I liked how the Colts ran their offense some of the time last year. I think once they had a run game going, they really were able to get things going. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting what happens in Philadelphia. I think when their offensive line is healthy, they have a very good offensive line. And if you have a good offensive line, it's very easy to coach or it's much easier to coach because there's just the possibilities are so much greater. And I want to get into one of the hires that I thought was very interesting, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but this guy, it seems like he's deserving of the position based upon the way that his group played this year Brandon Staley for the Los Angeles Chargers they fired Anthony Lynn thank goodness and they hired the young guy but the young defensive mind which is what I think is very interesting because you have a quarterback in Justin Herbert who you would think maybe you pair him with a Joe Brady you pay her pair him with an Eric Bieniemy, somebody like that but no neither of those guys got hired but Brandon Staley who led the NFL's number one defense and really got the most out of every single player on the field. Yes, you have Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, whatever, but the entire Rams defense was really, 
really good until they kind of got slapped in that uh, divisional round against the Packers. But the Rams defense was fantastic. And Brandon Saley is an interesting guy. Uh, He was actually interviewed, I believe, on the Pat McAfee show. And he went on and he said, we have our superstar quarterback. We want to build our offense around him and build it to his strengths. And we also want to play with pace in order to kind of keep defenses on their heels. So I don't know much about this guy, but hearing that quote, I love him. If you want to maximize your superstar, you want to build an offense around him that makes him comfortable. And that is what they're going to try to do. So I'm excited to see what the Chargers offense looks like. Hopefully it'll be very Justin Herbert reliant. So obviously in fantasy, I think Justin Herbert is like just one of those stocks that is just going to boom because he's, he did a great job last year, but I think he's only going to get better. It wouldn't surprise me if he was an MVP candidate within the next two seasons. Like he is that good. He can be that good for the Los Angeles Chargers, who I think will be much better than people think sooner rather than later. This team is always getting injured, but if you're healthy, you have Derwin James, uh, Joey, no, yeah, Joey Bosa, Joey Bosa, uh, Kenneth Murray, all their corners. You have uh, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris Jr. Why am I blanking out? There's another, oh, Nazir Adderley. I like Nazir Adderley too. Mentioned Melvin Ingram. Uh, I think he's actually leaving in free agency. Oh, he's a free agent. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think he's going to end up leaving, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with Melvin Ingram. But, I mean, they have some solid, solid pieces on that defense. And, obviously, you know what they have on offense. Their offensive line was much, much improved to start the year until they kind of had injuries uh, once again. But you have Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. I think maybe they're going to be a contender to draft one of these receivers if they slip a little bit into the second round. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if a Rondell Moore – ended up with Los Angeles Chargers, although I don't want to see that happen. Um, I think they could get a third explosive, explosive receiver. So let's see. But I really like this hire from Los Angeles Chargers based upon what I've heard Brandon Staley say. Um, if you have a guy that's just a football junkie and he, seemed, he got the most out of his players in Los Angeles, no, he's not an offensive mind, but honestly, I don't care. If you can get the most out of this quarterback and you can get the most out of the players on your team, I will respect you. And that is what I believe Brandon Staley is on track to do. So we'll see not many young defensive minds getting hired, but the chargers did it and they took from their hometown rival in the Los Angeles Rams. So we'll see what ends up happening, but I like personally, I thought this is a good hire. Yeah, I agree. This is another guy that I didn't have a lot of information on the Chicago bears. He was the outside linebackers coach for the Chicago bears from 2017 to 2018. Then was the outside linebackers coach for Vic Fangio in 2019 on the Denver Broncos. And then obviously was uh, the defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams in 2020. Um, So obviously if you look at those, that, that track record, he he did pretty well in in every spot that he, he went to within the NFL. Uh, He's a young, he's a young coach. He's only 38 years old. So uh, that's, that's definitely intriguing. But um, yeah, like you said, I, I was surprised that he they didn't go with a uh, offensive minded coach in, in this situation. But um, at the same time, like I don't I don't blame them for not going that way. I think that you just go with the the, the best leader if you're going for a head coach and kind of worry about everything else later. Um, and I think that's that's exactly what the Chargers needed at this situation. They needed uh, leadership at the head coaching position. Um, well, I think that that was their highest priority. Obviously, you always want leadership. But, um, yeah, 
I, I like the I like the hiring personally. I think that um, I hope that Brandon Staley can help uh, this team win a few close games because shit, they too many close games over the past like three seasons. So uh, if Brandon Staley can help improve that number of like, I think it's like um, games within one score, if he can start winning those games, then I I think that you'll see a much better Chargers team this season. Like Like something that similar production that you saw last season, except like more games translate to wins which is like what we, what I personally expected from the Chargers this past season after seeing Justin Herbert break out. So um, yeah, that's where I'm at with the Chargers. Um, this stat is only from 2019. I don't have one for 2020. They played 11 one score games in 2019. And in 2019, they finished two and nine in one score games. Two and nine. Like, Insane. That's a testament to, I mean, Anthony Lynn, he could be a motivator of people. I personally don't believe he was great with the X's and O's because he was very run-oriented for reasons he didn't have to be. Like, you don't have to give a guy like Cam Blage 20 touches, but he just, he was insisted on getting the ground game going when you didn't need it to be. Like, it wasn't a good matchup, so there's no point in doing so. But he insisted on doing so. Um, and also, one thing that stood out with Anthony Lynn is his clock management was some of the worst I have ever seen in my entire life. Like if they, if he literally just sat down and played like five or six games of Madden a week and just tried to learn clock management through there, it'd be much easier because it was just the way he would manage the clock was just atrocious, but you know, that ship has sailed. He is now in Detroit and I do want to talk about, I think I want to talk about Detroit now. Yeah. I want to talk about the Detroit Lions and hiring Dan Campbell Because this is a guy that, I mean, first of all, if you listen to his press conference, it sounded like he had to have been, he was absolutely wired during his press conference because his energy is truly unbelievable. I don't know if it's all directed in the right direction, but if you talk about a guy that you think is going to build a culture and you want to talk about toughness, which is something that I believe has lacked with the Detroit Lions over the last few years, I think Dan Campbell is that guy to bring that level of toughness to the organization and he brings in coaches that are I think good positional coaches I think Anthony Lynn is the offensive coordinator Deuce Staley is the running backs coach so you bring in some guys that are known around the league as some of the quote-unquote tougher coaches so that is obviously really good for the Detroit Lions this hire is interesting I think they they hired him for six years so they kind of know hey, we're not going to be so good for these next few years. Like we are openly embracing the rebuild. Not that they're going to tank, but they have a lot of aging players on this team that could be much better suited, getting them draft capital in return. Uh, You're going to see that trade with Matt Stafford. I believe the perfect quarterback for the Lions to try to take is a guy like a Trey Lance, a very physical, tough running quarterback who can also just light it up with a cannon arm, throw it down the field. Um, Kind of reminds me a little bit of a Josh Allen. Obviously, Josh Allen coming out was not the best prospect. He was a, quite a bit of a project, a very inaccurate, uh, missed some reads sometimes, and it took some time for Josh Allen. So I think you're going to see something similar with the Detroit Lions, where I, I really do believe they're going to take Trey Lance at number seven if he is there, and then they build around him. 
But I like this hire from the Detroit Lions just because of the fact that they need a guy that is like the anti-Matt Patricia, and that seems to be Dan Campbell. Um, This guy just seems like unnecessarily tough. Like he's just such a hard coach, but he's also someone that I think the players are going to play very hard for. So bringing in a bunch of guys that share that same mindset of just we're going to grind it out and become the best, toughest players that we can be. I think is going to be very interesting for the Detroit Lions because they haven't had that in a very, very, very long time. Like um, the last really tough player outside of like a Matt Stafford that I remember in Detroit, who you, I mean, he's quote unquote a bad guy. But Ndamukong Sue was just a very, very tough, gritty player who obviously has been great in the NFL for so many years. But he's one of the last few players that I remember doing that. And I think there's, uh, there's a lot of room for improvement in that department for the Detroit Lions. And it, it won't show up in like box scores or whatever, but just being a tough team that plays as hard as you can every single week. You see that with Brian Flores and what he's done in Miami. You start to build a culture and then you get the most out of your players that are not getting paid that much money. And once you do that, you're going to start winning games because you're getting good value out of your contracts. And that's how you win games in the NFL. So I think this is an interesting hire. It's not the best hire in the world, but I think there's definitely, definitely see what they're trying to do in Detroit. Yeah. As far regarding the, the Matt Safford trade, I think that we should talk about that a little bit. Um, Obviously, he, he and Matt Stafford agree that they should part ways in the offseason. I believe that they'll use Matt Stafford to kind of trade up in the draft to get one of those quarterbacks because I think that's what their priority is. Like, if they're moving on from their quarterback this year, they're going to go and get one of these top four quarterbacks. So, um, you can just about lock in the Lions trying to get one of these quarterbacks. I think they'll do whatever it takes. I think that you can, you can package uh, the seventh overall pick if you have to uh, in Matt Stafford and possibly more to move up in that draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I really believe that the, the Lions are a team that would uh, trade up and try to get one of those quarterbacks. If Justin it, Fields falls to three, I think that would be the ideal scenario for the Detroit Lions and just trade up and get Justin Fields before Atlanta does. I think yeah. Atlanta is going to be one of those teams that takes a quarterback. It wouldn't surprise me if they took a Trey Lance. Um, personally, I think Trey Lance is better than Zach Wilson. So I like that idea of the Lions trading up. I, I could definitely see that. Uh, there's trade. like there's oh. like eight or nine teams in that that same area that will be looking at a quarterback, I think, from like um from seven to like like eighteen. Yeah. There's so many teams that need a quarterback there. So yeah, I agree. I think that they'll definitely need to trade up because all those other teams will be looking to trade up. Like San Francisco could up Denver's at like eight or nine they'll be looking to trade up mm-hmm. um I think Carolina's around that area as well yep they could be looking for a quarterback so uh it'll be I think that this draft will definitely be more definitely be more interesting didn't have as many teams looking for quarterbacks last season now you have like a, a large bunch of teams trying to that that could look for a quarterback this year so um definitely going to be very interesting. As far as Dan Campbell, I think that this is another guy that you look at as like a as a as a leadership role. We we I think that we all saw those uh, videos on Twitter of him uh, from his from his Miami Dolphins days, kind of uh, just hyping up the the media and just like just he knows how to get the people going. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, he he knows how to get your blood flowing. He knows how to how to get you pumped up. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they have that in in uh, 
Detroit. I, I, I that's good. I, I hope that he could do that for a full team. Um, I think that this might be his first first head, co- head coaching position. Yeah, he was an assistant uh, when the Dolphins fired. I don't even know who it was that they fired, but they fired somebody a few years ago, and Dan Campbell was the guy that he actually ended out the season, I want to say, like three and two. And everyone was like, whoa, should Dan Campbell be the head coach? And I believe they went in the direction of hiring Brian Flores, which obviously panned out. Flores is a great coach. Um, but Dan Campbell, like you said, like if he knows how to get – everybody hyped up like he will pump you up and that is just what they need in Detroit I feel like every time in Detroit they just came out flat not a lot of energy kind of just some guys playing football not as a team and I am so interested to see what their weight room sessions are going to be like if they even have weight room sessions uh with COVID and whatever but like the energy that this guy has like if they're if I'm squatting I like I want Dan Campbell screaming at me while doing so he'll probably like get everybody doing way more numbers than they normally do they're probably going to be the most physically fit team in the NFL um in regards to like weightlifting and conditioning because I feel like they're just gonna he's gonna run this like it would be a high school football team in terms of how he wants them doing every single thing together every hour of the day like lifting training watching film eating food all that stuff he's gonna try to instill like a brotherhood mentality is the vibe I get but hey you need that in Detroit so I, I like that hire I think it's very interesting um one hire that just is something that nobody saw coming a few weeks back. And then once the season ended and once Doug Marone was fired, we kind of started to connect the dots a little bit, but urban Meyer getting hired to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think this is an interesting hire. They probably overpaid him, but he's been a great college coach. He's been a great football analyst. And now it's really, can he be good in the NFL? I think it's actually surprising. He's only 56. I thought he was way older than that. Um, I always thought he was like 40 years old or like 50 years old even when he was coaching at UF and that was a while back and at Ohio state, I thought he was in his sixties already, but he's only 56 years old, um, nine years younger than David Culley, which is kind of crazy, but um, yeah, I, Irvin Meyer going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He obviously loves Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is going to be his quarterback for the foreseeable future. So Urban Meyer is a guy that he has a, he's won at everywhere he's been. He's just been someone that is like, a consistent winner in his life and in terms of coaching he's been a great coach everywhere I mean he turned Utah into a powerhouse UF into a powerhouse and Ohio State into a powerhouse and now I think it's interesting can he do it in the NFL I think it'll take some time to kind of adjust to coaching grown men as opposed to recruiting and coaching uh young young guys like 18 19 year old guys he has these grown ass men to coach now so it's going to be interesting how he develops this offense I think it's going to be really good for the offensive players I think you need someone that is going to kind of cater your approach towards the talent that you have so they're going to throw deep shots to DJ Chark they're going to get LaVisca Chanel open in space they're just going to get James Robinson the ball and they're going to let Trevor Lawrence go to work so offensively I think this is going to be a really good hire I don't even know what's going to happen defensively but I'm not too concerned with that I think this is going to be a good move for the Jaguars at least in respect to what Doug Marone was for them, I think Urban Meyer is definitely an upgrade here. I agree. I think it is an upgrade over Doug Marone, but um, I'm a bit skeptical of Urban Meyer in the NFL just because, like you said, he I don't think he's ever coached in the NFL like throughout his 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 uh, coaching career. Um, and for the most part, he's been dealing with young players, 18 to 22. 
and now he's dealing with guys who are much older, have family, have have wife and kids sometimes, and are playing for money. So it's a definitely it's a totally different spectrum of of coaching, and um, it's a different way of motivating players to to perform at their best on the field. So um, the fact that he's never done that in his life coaching guys at, at that age is a bit sketchy for me. Um, but having a guy like Trevor Lawrence definitely eases that a bit. And I think that, I don't think, I think that he, I think Trevor Lawrence had a bit to do with this, um, this hiring just because Urban Meyer, I don't think that Urban Meyer comes out of retirement for any other team. I think that he wants to be latched onto Trevor Lawrence to kind of uh, build his legacy because uh, if he if he can demonstrate that he can have success in the NFL, I think that does a lot for his legacy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is better than Doug Marone's and uh, Jay Gruden kind of running the offense for them. Um, but I think that there were better options on the uh, available for them. I think that this was the, the flashy hire. Um, you know, Jacksonville isn't too far away from the University of Florida. He's he's lo- loved and glorified in University of Florida. So uh, I think that this is kind of a way for him being kind of close to home in, this, in some ways. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a solid hire. I, I'm not I'm not crazy about it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the offense works. Uh, you mentioned Lavishka Chenault. I think that that he's a def- an interesting name to look at uh, for fantasy drafts next season. Um, and then beyond that, they have James Robinson right now. It's it's definitely in question of what they're going to do with the running back position. So, um, yeah. I mean, Urban Meyer, not it's still, it's still a bit sketchy about it. I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how it turns out. It, it's uh, definitely one of the better football minds that we've seen over the last few years. Um, does it pan out in the NFL? We don't know. Sometimes these guys just don't pan out. Like Nick Saban had his run with the Miami Dolphins where it just didn't work. And he came back and greatest college coach ever, at least in my lifetime. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting with Urban Meyer. I think I think it'll work out because they have draft capital. They have already some young pieces in place. Obviously, they need more improvement there. Um, the offensive line is not the biggest problem that they have. And you have a few pieces I think it'll be interesting. I think if Trevor Lawrence is as good at, as advertised, it is definitely possible this team is not horrible sooner rather than later. So we'll see. I think it'll be very interesting. I I like the hire. I mean, I guess what they were going for, they kind of wanted someone, like you said, that flashy name to kind of build some buzz around the Jacksonville Jaguars because there's been nothing fun about the Jaguars since 2017. Like they just have not been good. There's not been much competition Doug Marone was not a good coach they ran a very boring offense they had Minshew Mania go for a little bit and then that story became kind of strung out so I just think they need some sort of buzz in that organization some sort of belief some sort of hype and I think Urban Meyer brings that um speaking of an organization that just needs to improve the Atlanta Falcons have just been on an absolute downturn since they made it to the Super Bowl and just absolutely choked up 28 to three lost and their complete, their organization has been in complete disarray ever since then. So they hired Arthur Smith to replace Dan, Dan Quinn, who was just could not hold a lead. He would consistently lose games that they should have won. Um, And Arthur Smith is interesting. He's done a fantastic job 
rebuilding and building around the talent that they had in Tennessee. They had pretty much over the last two years, the number one most efficient offense in terms of expected points added, in terms of red zone efficiency, in terms of yards per play, in terms of play action passing. They did a fantastic job taking a quarterback who was a reclamation project like Ryan Tannehill and turning him into a really, really good prospect or a really good player. So, Tyler, with that said, Arthur Smith, what are your thoughts on the hire here um, in Atlanta? Yeah, so with the Atlanta Falcons hiring um, Arthur Smith, I think that's definitely an interesting hire. Um, you know, I, I think that they should definitely be looking for a running back. Um, it's interesting. I, I just saw that these are all first-time head coaches besides interim head coaches. So um, every single person, that every coach that got hired this offseason is a first-time head coach, just something interesting. Um yeah, not, another guy that I don't know much of. Uh, I know that he was the offensive coordinator for the the Tennessee Titans last season. Uh, they were definitely more run heavy, but that's also because they had Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. So if you have a Derrick Henry offense, like you're going to be run heavy. I think that you'll see a little bit more versatility for this this Falcons offense. But at the same time, they should still get a running back because shit, Todd Gurley, Ito Smith, uh, Quadri Allison, and um, I always forget one person, but th- they're just not cutting it as a running back group. I think that they need to add a legitimate workhorse that can, that you can definitely trust with the, with the workload. So um, yeah, that's how I feel about, uh, about Arthur Smith. Um, I think that he's on the older. No, he's young, young. Really? He's like 30. I want to say he's like 36, 37. Like he's a really, really young coach. Okay, 30. Yeah, 38 um, years old. All right, so um, I mean that's definitely interesting. Um, tight ends coach, offensive coordinator, assistant tight ends. Everything. Yeah, I mean I like that versatility. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, definitely hoping that that he has a lot of success in in uh, in Atlanta. Went to UNC Georgetown Preparatory. All right. Um, so yeah. Uh, I hope that they end up getting a running back because I, I think that Atlanta just needs a running back in general. Mm-hmm. But, um, agree. but um, you know, obviously the biggest concern with Atlanta is Matt Ryan, kind of his, his dip in production. He's able to kind of weather that storm. The, the Falcons can definitely be interesting next season because they still have Calvin Ridley. They still have Julio Jones, who's still balling out mm-hmm. when he's on the field. And, they still have Hayden Hurst and definitely get a running back. Like it's not a back and they have some talent on the defensive end with Deion Jones. Um, Grady Jarrett. Um, yeah. Grady Jarrett. Uh, Keanu Neal, if he's healthy. Yeah, what is he Keanu Neal. That's, that's he's what never healthy. Like, if he can stay healthy, he's one of the best safeties, but yeah, he's, he's never healthy. Um, yeah. yeah. I just a hundred percent agree. Like if you get a running back in Atlanta, and you get a run game, that'll make life so much easier on Matt Ryan. Like, I'm not trying to defend Matt Ryan saying that he might not be like starting to kind of decline. I think he is declining. But what makes life easy on a quarterback, and you see this work all the time, especially if you don't have the strongest arm in the world, play action. If you can get those linebackers to creep up and you throw it behind them, you will produce. And that is what 
the Atlanta Falcons will do. So take the Tennessee Titans receivers and just make them better. Make A.J. Brown better. He turns into Julio Jones when he's healthy. Make Corey Davis significantly better, and he turns into Calvin Ridley when he is healthy. So you have the guy, you have the tools to make this play action offense work. Um, Hayden Hurst is also a solid tight end, but you need a freaking running back. So whether it's Javante Williams, I think three running backs that make the most sense for them is guys that can make good reads, like very patient running backs. So I think three running backs that make the most sense, in my opinion, are one, Najee Harris. Obviously, if you can get Najee Harris, you can do it. I think he's going to be a stud in the NFL. Two, Javante Williams. He's kind of like a do it all back. Um, three, Jermar Jefferson out of Ohio State. I think he's also another guy that could fill that need uh, probably at the beginning of the third round for the uh, the Atlanta Falcons. So that'll be interesting. But like you said, just get that running back. And I think the entire offense will fall into place. I'm not reading too much into what the Falcons did last year. Dirk Cotter is not a good offensive coordinator. He throws a ton. and He throws down the field, but he's not very balanced. He won't be efficient. His play, his play style won't work in the playoffs. So I'm happy Dirk Cotter is gone. I think Arthur Smith will do a fantastic job of rebuilding this offense. I think Matt Ryan is the starter next year, but it wouldn't surprise me if they took a guy like Trey Lance early in this draft because you're never going to pick number four overall again. That won't happen. You have too much talent in your organization. So get your quarterback early and then make everything work after that. Uh, you mentioned the play action uh, offense with uh, Matt Ryan. Um, you know, we talk about Philip Rivers just kind of being dookie. And, um, you know, the play action pass has kind of kept Philip Rivers afloat over the past like three or four seasons as far as uh, a productive NFL player. Like, I think that he he averages somewhere around like the 120 quarterback rating in play action passes. So that definitely lifts his overall quarterback rating, lifts his stats and whatnot. Um, Matt Ryan at this point in his career, I think is definitely better than Philip Rivers. So if he's able to add that to his game, uh, just a very efficient play action, uh, just just very efficient play action play. Um, I think that that could do wonders for his game, especially considering how bad he looked this past season. So um, that play, I think that play action is definitely significant for Matt Ryan and his his growth going into this this I want to say final chapter of his NFL career. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at what worked with Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. It was zone run, play action offense, and just hit Julio when he's open. Hit whoever the hell, like Roddy White, whatever running or other receiver they had, just hit that dude when he's there. So that's what they that's what worked with Matt Ryan before. That's what had him playing at that MVP level. It just makes life so much easier on the quarterback when you can just turn, you fake the handoff, you look up, and you see your read running in the middle of the freaking field as opposed to just dropping back five steps, waiting for someone to, like, route up the defensive back and then throw a deep ball. It just makes a lot more sense. Um the last coach that I want to get into here, the coach or the hire that I believe they absolutely knocked it out of the park with both the head coach and the offensive coordinator, which is the second most important coaching position, um, the New York Jets. It's crazy to say that New York Jets with Robert Sala. I think this is just so perfect for what the Jets need because you need someone that is just going to tear down every all the bad stuff that Adam Gase left behind. And is just going to build a culture where they say, we're going to win every single game. We're going to compete every single game. We're going to be the most annoying team to play. No one is going to want to play us because we're just going to 
like play hard every single down and whatever. And that is what Robert Sala is going to do. Like he's just the energy guy. I know if you guys have seen the 49ers, like he runs the, the freaking like stadium steps before the game. Uh, he just, he's full of energy. He's passionate. He loves what he does. He's also a young coach. He's defensive minded, which is interesting, obviously, because the defensive minds typically don't get the chance. It's normally the young offensive mind chasing the next McVay or chasing the next Shanahan. But I believe they knocked out of the park with Robert Sala. And also they hired Matt LaFleur's brother, if I'm correct. Matt LaFleur's brother. So you have Mike LaFleur, who, Tyler, I'll let you talk about that a little bit. But how are you feeling about this Jets hire? Yeah, I think it's a great hire for the Jets overall, Robert Saleh. Um, you talk about him being a defensive-minded coach. He's worked with the, the 49ers for at least the past two seasons. I don't know beyond that, but they, they've – I think the 49ers have done pretty well over the past couple, couple of seasons. Um, very similar to what the what the Seattle Seahawks ran during the Legion of Boom. It's, like, it's the same scheme that they ran then. Um, so I think that it'll be interesting for the, <clears throat> the Jets defense. Um, but first, uh, Robert Sala is a motivator first and fo- foremost. And you saw, you've probably seen the clips of him on the sideline, like uh, the way that he motivates his teammates, the way that he yells at them um, as they're making defensive plays, the way that he gets hyped whenever they make a play. Um, definitely awesome to see that. Uh, and I, I know that the, the 49ers will definitely be missing him as a defensive coordinator because of that energy that he brought to the defense. Um, as far as Mike LaFleur, this is a guy that has coached under Kyle Shanahan over the past six seasons, 14 back when he was hired by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, he's coached under uh, Matt, uh, Kyle Shanahan since then. And then you mentioned it. He's, he's Matt LaFleur's younger brother. Um, he was most recently the passing game coordinator for the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So he did a lot of the, the receiving schemes, the passing scheme, or yeah, the receiver schemes over the past few years. And the, the 49ers have led the league in run after catch uh, per reception over the past three seasons, each of the last three seasons. So um, I think that something that you're definitely going to see with, from the, the New York jets is getting the receivers open in space. And, uh, kind of like you mentioned, the, the zone run scheme. I think that you'll see a lot of that as well. Um, definitely more modern offense for the Jets this this season uh, compared to what, what they had last season with uh, Adam Gase um, just, just running a shit show, to say the least. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, Michael Floor, I, I feel good about him. I, I think that regardless, this, this offense gets an upgrade because you're either going to have a better Sam Darnold or you get one of and or one of these quarterbacks in the draft. And in my opinion, with a new new head coach and a new offensive coordinator, I think that they'll look in a different direction than Sam Darnold because they can. So uh, I think that they know they can get uh, whatever it is, like a day two pick for Sam Darnold. And I think that they're okay with that because they have the second overall pick. So they can either trade for Deshaun Watson or take a guy like Justin Fields or mm-hmm. – uh, Trey Lance or Zach Wilson, who, who just pick who, whoever their their liking is. So yeah, um, yeah, I think that this Jets offense may take a year to kind of uh, season out because they're, they're probably going to have a rookie quarterback in there. But um, beyond the season, I think that 
the Jets offense is definitely something to look uh, look into as um, very intriguing fantasy um, fantasy offense. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think this is where Deshaun Watson ends up. Honestly, I really do. If you want to consider that a hot take, whatever. I just think it makes so much sense for them to give up the capital. And they don't have, I mean, you can try to believe in Sam Darnold, but I think he needs a fresh start too. I think he just needs a different place to play. Um, send him to either Denver, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, wherever. Like send Darnold somewhere else where he can play, have a fresh start with a new coach and just not have the memory of just being awful in New York. Because I like Sam Darnold, the player. I think he can be a very, very good NFL player. I didn't think he was ready coming out. And Adam Gase absolutely ruined him. He tried to have him throw screens and then just, not be that good of a player but hold on breaking news breaking news breaking news Deshaun Watson officially has requested a trade from the Houston Texans so uh talk about perfect timing with that he hasn't talked to uh, Nick Casario or their executive so um what a perfect timing we're right on on the uh Deshaun Watson train wow um well he actually it says he actually did it weeks ago and now it's official so the Sean Watson sweepstakes is open. My early prediction as to where he lands is the New York Jets. Not many teams can offer the number two overall pick and a chance at Justin Fields. Um, you look at whose game could end up being the closest to Deshaun Watson, Justin Fields. Like he is going to be one hell of an NFL quarterback. I will die on that hill. I think he's a really, really talented player. And he's just someone that has always been one of the best players at his position growing up in his entire life. He was always like neck and neck with Trevor Lawrence. And obviously maybe that didn't pan out as well in college, but he still went toe to toe with Trevor Lawrence in both of the games that they played. And you saw what he did this past uh, month against the Clemson Tigers in the semifinal where six touchdowns, one interception, I believe just absolutely lighting it up. And he has some, he, he could make improvements for sure. But I think he, he's the closest thing to a franchise guy outside of Trevor Lawrence in this draft. And the Jets can give them Justin Fields, give them another first-round pick, and give them another first-round pick next year. It just makes so much sense. It really, really does to me. Um, I believe they have the Seattle Seahawks next two first-round picks. So you give up your first-round pick this year and Seattle's picks over the next two seasons – and you didn't honestly didn't give up that much. What you really traded was your second overall pick and Jamal Adams for Deshaun Watson, which is a really good pick. You already have your franchise left tackle in Makai Becton, which is a big, big deal. And you have Denzel Mims, nice young receiver. You have some pieces on this team. You have Quinn Williams. You have some players that can produce. So this could be, if you get Deshaun Watson, this is a very quick turnaround. They can honestly become a playoff contender over the next few years, which is crazy because it's the Jets. But I really think it's possible. Um, obviously, if he goes to Miami, I think Miami becomes a legitimate playoff, like upper tier playoff contender in the NFL. But they need to see it happen first. And I think they're still going to try to build around Tua. Tua, I think when they drafted him, they understood it was going to be more than like a one-year thing to get him to where he's supposed to be. So year one coming off of a major injury, Tua is where he's at right now. He did not look great. And then year two, I think, is going to be very defining to Tua's career. So he needs to step it up. And I believe the Dolphins will just build around him. So I'm not expecting the Dolphins to trade for Deshaun Watson. I think it's the Jets and then everybody else. If the Jets don't want to give up the haul for Deshaun Watson, then you can start to see maybe like a San Francisco, maybe a Washington football team get involved in the mix. But the team that makes the most sense is the Jets. That's where I think he's going to end up. 
Tyler, do you have any early predictions as to where he's going to end up? Yeah, I think that the Miami Dolphins is definitely still an option. Uh, you mentioned Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, yes, I think that they still have faith in Tua being a, a, a very good NFL quarterback, but Deshaun guys like Deshaun Watson don't don't fall off trees. Like they don't they don't become available. I don't think that a guy like this has ever become available. Um, and they have the draft capital to compete with a New York Jets. I think that it really comes down to the Jets and the Dolphins and the fact that they're within uh, – they're both AFC East divisional rivals. Um, I think that we're definitely going to see a bidding war between these two teams. And uh, it's just going to come down to who's willing to give up more. Uh, the Jets may be more lenient to give up more because they, they've experienced three years of Sam Darnold and they're kind of sick of it. The Dolphins have only one year of Tua Tagovailoa. Mm-hmm. So uh, they may be less lenient to, to uh, giving up draft capital, but – you know, if I if I had to name another team beside the Jets, I definitely think that it's the Dolphins. I think that um, he gave a list of two teams a couple weeks ago, and it was yeah, like, Jets like I'm not sure how accurate that. Yeah, there's no there's is. no testament to the legitimacy of that, but mm-hmm. um, I think that that those two would make sense as far as up and coming teams and teams with the draft capital to to acquire him because mm-hmm. you're talking about Deshaun Watson what is he age 25 26 he's going into the final year of his his rookie deal I think it's a fifth year option and then after that he has four more seasons so you're you're locking up a friend for the next five seasons mm-hmm. you're getting you're getting the best years of Deshaun Watson in my opinion so superstar yeah exactly so you for either of these teams, you could give up a lot and still have a very confident team. Miami, especially, which is, which is kind of why I believe that they could acquire him. Mm-hmm. Like they could give up their third overall pick, the first round pick that they got from the Texans, or sorry, the, their own first round pick, which is higher than uh, the Seattle pick that that the Jets have yeah. this year. But I, I mean. Up- Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like the number two pick in this year's draft, just because it the, it depends on how you feel about Justin Fields, but I feel like that number two pick with Justin Fields is just so valuable compared to the third overall pick, which sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. having that option to make sure that you secure a Justin Fields to me is just unbelievable because if the Jets don't trade for Deshaun Watson, I can almost guarantee you they are taking Justin Fields at number two. We'll see what ends up happening. I mean, some people have Zach Wilson going there. But I think the value of that number two overall pick is just so much greater than the difference between the number 18 and uh, what is like 23 that Seattle has. So, I mean, we'll see what ends up happening. I just think, first of all, we've never seen like two marquee names, quarterbacks requesting trades between Matt Stafford and Deshaun Watson. It's going to be super, super interesting as to what happens. I'm excited I can't wait to see what happens. I think it is going to be a ridiculously fun offseason. We already had some interesting coaching hires. Went into that today. And we also have one hell of a Super Bowl on our hands. So, um, I mean, that's pretty much it. We're going to be back next week talking Super Bowl, talking, I mean, maybe where Deshaun Watson uh, is requesting a trade to because he kind of does have that leverage in the situation. He can pick almost where he wants to go. So, We'll see what ends up happening. But once again, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you on Thursday.
That wraps up our championship round pod. If you don't follow us already, make sure to follow us on Instagram at First Take Fantasy. No spaces at First Take Fantasy, where we are posting rookie spotlights, coaching impacts, and tons of dynasty content to keep you prepared for the NFL draft and free agency.